Uh, good evening to all of you, and uh, just to say it is a privilege to be here and to share God's Word with you, St. Peter's Church. And I bring also the greetings of Broughty Ferry Presbyterian Church, and uh, we reciprocate this exchange of prayers. We also regularly pray for you and pray for God's grace, power, and mercy to be at work in you as we together engage with gospel ministry here in our beloved city of Dundee. We've already read the passage, and uh, please just keep the Bibles open or, or the devices open if you're uh, reading from an iPad or, or even your telephone as we engage with this uh, parable from Jesus Christ. I will say a short prayer asking God's guidance as we go through this passage asking his blessing upon us as we share it together. So let us pray. Thank you, Father, for being with us and for your word. And we pray by the grace of Christ and the work of your spirit, Lord, for your word to be engraved in our hearts and for it to produce much fruit for the glory of your name in our lives, in our church lives, and wherever you send us to be as your people, as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you look at the passage there, Matthew 20, verse 1 to verse 16, you have to bear in mind that this parable sits between two similar verses, one in chapter 19, and the other one at the end of the passage that has just been read. Chapter 19, verse 30, we read, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. That's Jesus' conclusion after his dialogue with the rich young man and how although he thought he was doing everything right, and yet he displayed the heart of an idolater and whose idol was money and property and wealth instead of his true desire to follow God, to go to the kingdom, and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of this parable in chapter 20, once again, we have a similar verse on verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And that also goes well and matches with what we see in chapter 19, verse 14 when Jesus welcomed the little children and he blesses them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And you might have noticed in chapter 20 that this parable that Jesus tells uh, uh, to his disciples uh, is about the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven and then he tells us this story. Jesus is making quite clear that God can't care less about whether how intellectually schooled you might be in matters of Bible and religion or any other uh, field of knowledge for that matter, or how influential your presence can be in a community like the young rich man in the previous chapter. We have to admit that it hurts. It hurts our pride to be reminded again and again and again that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, 
It is about His power. It is about His grace. It is about His love. It is about His dignity. It is about His wealth, His generosity. And it is, of course, about His standards of morals plus the spiritual way that leads us to heaven. And as Jesus goes through, particularly through Matthew's gospel, you see how he is challenging everyone, whether they be a close disciple like Peter or a stranger that just popped in and asks him a very relevant and important question about what must I do to get eternal life. And Jesus goes on addressing these matters with the principles, the teachings, and the ways, not of men, but of the kingdom. In the previous chapter, the young ruler, although respected in the community, leaves in disappointment, whereas the disciples of Jesus, they reaffirm their desire to follow him. And we uh, can see how important that is. And yet we have to learn that their importance as disciples of Jesus Christ in the kingdom is not based on their decision, but on Jesus' decision. As we consider that, it seems clear in the passage that the basic nature of our calling to be disciples goes against the grain of our common sense regarding how we do the transactions described in the text they break all the rules. That's not how the workplace works. We, in our own time, and for a good reason, I'm not contesting that, we are discussing about the equality of how people are paid for doing the same job. But the parable seems to go completely against that. But remember, Jesus is not talking about work relations. This is a parable to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' point, uh, Jesus' point is not about how the job market should operate, but what it means to join him in his work as his followers. What does it mean to join Jesus Christ in his work as his followers, as his disciples? First, it means that salvation is by calling. Salvation is by calling. That contrasts with what the young ruler was trying to do. He was trying to do it by his own way, by his own strength, by his own wisdom, wisdom, by his own efforts, by his own cunning, intelligence, you name it. And yet, that's not how it works. Salvation is by calling. It implies grace, because when you don't earn it, the only other possibility is the graciousness, the kindness, the mercy, the compassion of a loving God to look at me and to look at you right where you are, eh, worthless as we are, and he looks at us, he loves us, and he assigns worth to us, and we become precious in his sight, and he calls us, and he saves us, and he cleanses us. And he equips us to be useful in his kingdom. Because that's what happens here in the passage. The workers are called at the landowner's discretion. 
It is rather his calling that grants all three groups the opportunity to work in his harvest. Also, still with regards the salvation that comes by his calling. It means salvation because the previous passage reflects on how impossible it is for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. After the young ruler goes away, Jesus makes a very starking, a very strange even remark about how it is so hard for the wealthy, the rich people to get into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then the disciples reply, well, then it, who can be saved? But Jesus says, you know, what's impossible for men? Well, don't worry, that's not impossible for God. And they tell Jesus how they have left everything to follow them, and Jesus praises them for that. So, uh, it reflects of how impossible it is for people to enter the kingdom of heaven, but here, that becomes possible by invitation. The landowner goes and starts calling people to come into his property and to work in his vineyard and to share in his harvest. Second, it means that the calling is to serve. The calling is to serve. It implies that in order to grow in grace, we have to serve the Lord of the harvest. It is a calling to work, to move from idleness to activity in order to, uh, in order, uh, to, to activity under the instruction of the master. Have a look at verses 6 and verse 7. Uh, he asks them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. You work with me. You work for me. So we are called to serve. And of course, uh, it's human nature. For how long are we called to serve? And some people might feel disappointed that it is forever. That's the model we have in Jesus Christ now ascended to heaven and sitting on a throne. But as for us, his creatures... As for us, his disciples, as for us, his followers, as for us who have received the merciful influence and power, uh, salvation power that he imparted upon us, rescuing, rescuing, rescuing us from darkness and transporting us into his kingdom of light. We are forever servants of his kingdom. Not without dignity, not without honor, not even without rank. That's for another time if we'd like to, to explore that. But definitely servants, servants of God, servants of the kingdom, servants of the master, Jesus Christ, who we follow as his disciples and servants of one another. Because when we go into the harvest, we work together side by side, cooperating with each other. Because our goal is not self-service, but serving the master who has called us into this work. Third, it means that wages 
are secured for all. All. At the end, rest and reward are reassured and assured after the job is done. So that's the end of the parable. At the end of the day, when the job was finished, the sun uh, is down and they are all lined up and ready to receive their wages. And he starts with those who uh, entered uh, into the, the, the job for uh, last. And he pays them one denarius, and then to the second group, one denarius, and then to the first group, one denarius. But apparently only the first group who received their wages were quite happy with the payment, whereas the others were not so. The wages are secured for all. And you have to see here how the master is showing unexpected generosity. What would that mean for Jesus' hearers then and there? Well, you have to remember how for uh, over a millennia, God is revealing himself in a special way through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Moses, and then through the prophets like Samuel, and then all the generation of prophets with Elijah and all the prophets we have in the Bible, through many kings like David in particular, and the promise of the, the anointed came to come and to establish God's kingdom once and for all. They were the the, the, the curators, as it were. They were the, the guardians of that wonderful, deep, important uh, uh, heritage, spiritual heritage. And of course, when you are in that job for so long, you start developing a sense of ownership over it. And of course, a sense of self-importance, because after all, look at for how long you have been working And then here comes Mr. Nobody, who has just joined us. How dare he know as much as we do, be capable of doing as much as, uh, knowing as much as we know, uh, being capable of doing as much as we do. How dare he come and not do things the way we are traditionally used to, not necessarily doing it wrong, just doing something that is different. And for churches, it's a hard lesson how to differentiate the different from what is wrong. It is a hard challenge, and we need God's wisdom every step of the way so that we will not rebuke those who are doing the Lord's work. Think of Jesus when asked about those people casting out demons, but not following him as closely as the twelve were following him. And one of them asks him, Master, should we ask them to stop? He said, why? They're working for me and with me. This is what I'm here for. The light of the kingdom to be manifested and the work and presence of darkness to be dispersed and cast away. The wages are secured for all. That demands the right reaction. It is right. Is it right to begrudge a righteous, generous, good master with our stingy eyes? Verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's interesting because I think the translation does grasp what Jesus is meaning here. Literally, what the, 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 the passage says is, uh, not because you are envious, but because 
your eye is evil. And in the Bible, evil can be a thing, a situation, but of course, especially in, in the Greek sometimes, it means a person, the evil one. It's the same word. So your eye is evil. Why is that so? When actually you should celebrate because you've been given what you've, pro you've been promised, salvation, the love of God, the mercy and the forgiveness of your sins, a place in the kingdom, eternal life, deep, wonderful fellowship with the Lord. So why are you so greedy not to share with those who have just arrived? As we consider these things, what lessons can we learn? What lessons are there for us to be learned from this passage? Well, first of all, consider the privilege of the calling. Well, it's a privilege because it's based on who is calling, the Savior of the world, the promised King, the Son of God. Which one would assign you more honor? To be called to see the Queen or to be called to see the local Lord Provost? I remember having meetings with the local Lord Provost uh, of Dundee. Uh, I haven't had the privilege of being called to be uh, in an interview with the Queen, though. But definitely, there is more to tell about the second one than the first one. So consider who's calling you, the creator of the whole universe, who allows us to call him our Father in heaven, and his Son, the King and Master of all created things, without whom nothing would have ever existed. And he's coming to us when we wouldn't be able to go to him. And he called and he said, follow me, come and work for me. It is a privilege because it's based on the nature of the work. It is kingdom work that involves proclamation, involves service, involves mercy, involves love, involves goodness and generosity. Those are divine values emanating from the very heart of God. Uh, there is a danger in jo of joining the church, which is the good and right thing to do, okay? If you're thinking about joining this church, do it. I don't say that about some other churches, but I can say that about this church. Do it. It is the right thing. But there is a danger of joining the church for the wrong reasons. Remember the reasons why you are doing that. Remember who is calling you, and remember what is his calling you to do. Second lesson, consider the commitment demanded. That is, to work diligently, playing your part for the achievement of the goal. The goal is not the reward. The goal is the harvest. If the vineyard is well worked, if the grapes are collected, if the end result will be wine and, 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 and all the, 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 the other products and all the other good things you can have from a vineyard, then that's the goal. And the payment comes as a consequence. So no, 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 no harvest, no reward. But don't worry about the results. He's calling you to work in the harvest. He wants you to be there, maybe pruning the vineyard, maybe collecting the grapes, maybe pressing the grapes to produce wine, 
and separating some others so you could have, you know, a good batch of raisins. Don't worry about the end result. Work for he who has called you to work. But that demands commitment. Third, the first and the last are, make e are made equal in the kingdom of heaven. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus is not talking about experience or maturity here, okay? So there is a kind of a, 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 a sequence here when he talked about the little children and he connected that with the kingdom when he addressed the rich young man and his disciples and made the same reference about who's the first and who's the last and now after this parable. He's not talking about experience and maturity, of course, they have precedence over the lack of it. But there are occasions that we might be so steeped in our traditions of old or so focused on a particular ethnic pedigree like the Jewish people of Jesus' time. Ethnic pedigree of those who claim to be the legitimate spiritual heirs that we forget where our true worth is comes from. It comes from our calling. It is not about earned spiritual dignity. It is freely and generously given by our divine master. There is a demand for humility regardless of rank or for how long we might have been involved in Christian work. Fourth and last lesson. Consider your calling to work in the kingdom. It demands faith in the word of the one who is calling. It demands faith on the very word of calling that is issued to you, which now for today we translate it in faith in God's word and the, and the God who actually uh, uh, inspired and delivered this word for us. It, it is a calling to all believers with no exception. When a church sees only a part of it working for the kingdom, there's something wrong. We all have a part to play, whether it be small or great, whether it be leadership or very basic stuff that needs to be done in the congregation. Because there is another side of Christian work that we need constantly to develop and to be aware of, which is our personal growth and our personal participation in Jesus' calling to all disciples to be light of the world, salt of the earth. Not only the minister, not only the elders, not only the deacons, not only other prominent leaders or people who never knew what is to be shy in life and they are so upfront about engaging with a, a church work and engaging with, with other people, they find it very easy to do it. Whereas you, the shy folk, the ones who struggle, you know, to raise a hand or to volunteer, let me tell you, there is work for everyone. It's a calling to all believers. Are you a believer? So you've been called to work in the Lord's vineyard. No time or space for the idol. It demands dedication in view of the nature of its calling. 
It's a divine calling. It's God that's calling us. And because of that, it's sublime. Because what are we called to do? To preach the good news, announcing salvation victory to a world that is constantly under the weight of defeat, to sin, to, uh, to, uh, to, to the forces of darkness, and to the very uh, evil one, exercising authority and oppression upon them. But when the gospel comes, they are set free by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. It is sublime because we are asked to put in practice uh, this faith through goods, good works of mercy, love, and compassion. And it expects contentment with the reward shared by all. I remember when I was a teenager, I was learning to play the guitar. Strangely enough, you know, here I am, 52 years old, still, play, still learning. So, uh, but I had a friend in church. He started to learn the guitar after me. In a couple of months, that guy was playing the guitar. Then he moved to the bass guitar. Then he moved to the drums. Then he moved to the keyboard. And I thought, Ugh. you remember the, 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 the movie about uh, Mozart? And, you know, of course, it's totally not completely uh, reliable historically, but you have, you know, Salieri, you know, being eaten inside by envy. Yeah, I have to confess my sin. Whereas I should have had delight. Look at that. Look at how God is granting him that talent that can be so useful in the Lord's vineyard. Thank God that he gave me time to realize that and to be humble enough to recognize that. In church, it's all about teamwork, no place for a lone wolf. So remember that. It means that salvation is by calling. It means that it is a calling to serve. It means that wages are secured for all. And the lessons, consider its privilege. Consider the commitment demanded. Remember that the first and the last are made equal in the kingdom. And consider your calling, personal calling, non-transferable calling to work in the kingdom. Let us pray. God and Father, thank you for your word and have mercy on us. So, Lord, that this word will bear fruit of righteousness in our lives as we are kept humble under God's, uh, under Jesus shepherding over us as well, Lord as encouraged, knowing that not only he has called us, but he has also imparted upon us gifts and talents and our very own personality that is useful in his kingdom, in his vineyard, for his glory. In his name we pray, Father. Amen.